0: Here's what I want to start with. I want us to think about this question. Apples. Okay. This is an apple. They're supposed to be a good thing, right? You know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away and and whatever. But but if you read the Bible, and you read the first few chapters of Genesis, and you get to Genesis chapter 3, and we see that Adam and Eve, they end up uh, eating... Some fruit. Maybe it was an apple. Maybe it isn't. It doesn't actually say what it is. Uh, it's the fruit from the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil. Maybe it was an apple. I don't know. Maybe it was a pear. Maybe it was a kiwi. Maybe it's some kind of fruit that doesn't exist anymore that was special for this one tree. But the whole point is God told them not to eat of this thing. And he gave, put them in the Garden of Eden, and they had all these different trees, and there was the tree of life, and they would continue to have eternal life you know, from this. And God just gave them this kind of one rule that he laid out. Don't eat from this one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens? They end up eating from it, uh, Adam and Eve. uh, Eve first and then Adam. Although if you read the Bible, it gets pinned on Adam especially. And because of this, the world gets wrecked. I mean, this is the reason why we interpret this world. We have a good God that knows what he's doing. He didn't create a... Uh, dysfunctional world, okay? It wasn't like he screwed up on this world and uh, we have to live with the consequences because, you know, it was his first world and he just didn't get it right. And so there's, there's a lot of issues. No, he, when he created this world, it was good. We're the ones that messed it up. And by Adam's rebellion against God, you know, eating an apple, it, it fractured everything. And there are the curses that were listed in the book of Genesis uh, everything from, uh, you know, pain in, uh, in childbirth. I'm sure Christine Spiller appreciated that last week, you know. <laughs> and uh, from that to toil in work and fruitlessness in our, in our labor, but it extends to everything. It extends to uh, just health difficulties, it, it, you know, just the frustrations of this world, earthquakes. I think all of these things are, are blamed on the world being wrecked because of, of sin, the fall and ultimately, death. You read in uh, Romans chapter 5, it says that uh, because of Adam's sin, death came to, to all people. So the question I want to ask you is, what was the big deal with eating an apple? I mean, it kind of seems like that was a little bit of an overreaction at times. Okay, And we can understand they weren't supposed to do that. Maybe you think it's, well, it's similar to, you have your kids, you tell them, don't eat the Oreos. Okay? And you come back later and they've gotten into the Oreos. Okay, they disobeyed, that was wrong. But you'd probably consider it a little bit of an overreaction if you said, okay, the punishment because you got into the Oreos is everybody dies. <laughs> but <laughs> scripturally, that's, a, that's what happens. That death enters the world because of Adam's sin because of eating an apple or whatever it is. And we think, why is that such a big deal? I mean, okay, I'm going to watch this. Nobody died, right? Okay, nothing happened this time. But when Adam and Eve did this, it plunged everything into disorder. And because of that, we have wars, we have death, we have all these different things. I've got apple in my mouth now as I'm trying to preach. So, but I want to talk about that. And I want to use that as kind of an entry point to think about uh, the big picture of the Bible. We've been talking in this series about God's glory and how we are created for God's glory and to find our satisfaction, our joy in his glory and who he is, that we were created to to love God, to know God. And this is good for us and it's appropriate for him. And so I want to talk about this through the biblical story, the, the big picture and kind of the three, at least we'll do it this time in three main stages in creation, fall, and redemption. Thinking through each of these, and I think it will lead us up to the Lord's Supper as, at the conclusion uh, of, of our service. So when we think about this, the apple, and why was this such a, a big deal? Um, God, was he see, overreacting to this. I think if we want to start with this, we want to go way back to the beginning, and God's creation for us. And so the first point that I want to make this morning is that God created mankind in his image to share in the delight of the glory of God. And I, I know mankind, you know, people get upset at that. It means everyone, men and women. Uh, in the Bible, man was uh, a reference to Adam. And so really what it means is Adam's kind. He was the first human being. We're created after him, we come from him. We're part of his extended family. So God created all of us. He created human beings in his image. Uh, so when he, in Genesis, he said when he created us, he created us uh, like him. And I think a big reason for that is he created us enough like him so that we can have a relationship with him. We can know him. We can appreciate him. That uh, if you were a rock or a worm or a kitty cat, uh, you wouldn't be able to know and understand and appreciate God the way that we can as, as image bearers of him. We're, we're not God, we're pretty different, but we're enough like him that we can appreciate how awesome he is. And it's to share in the delight of the glory of God. And this has been what we've been talking about the last few weeks. So let me rewind even further. to Even before God made us, and to think about what God was doing here and this, uh, this kind of plan that he was setting up. Think about there was a time when, well, it wasn't even time. It was a time before even time existed. That there was once when there was no time, there was nothing that was created, and there was nothing but God. We believe in one God. But we also believe, because God has revealed himself to us in this way in scripture, that God is a trinity. And a trinity, it means try and one, three in one. He's a three in one God. This is an ancient symbol that's used for the trinity. Uh, it's not from scripture, but it's been around for a, for a long time. And it's meant to indicate that there, there's one God, but the way that the shape uh, circles around, there's, there's three uh, kind of points to it, and so God exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it's impossible for us to wrap our minds around exactly how that works, but the main thing to remember is there's one God, there's only one God, we're, we're monotheists, we don't believe in multiple gods, but within the Godhead, within the Trinity, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they've always been together, They've always been in the Trinity as, as one God existing in, in relationship of three persons in the Trinity. Not, not human beings, but persons. And so they can have relationship inside the Trinity. This means that even before God created the world, that there was love. God is love. And you think about this, well, how can God be love if there's nothing to love? You've got to have something to love. God is able to exist and has existed in love forever because of the fact that God is a trinity. And because within the one Godhead, the members of the trinity know and love each other. So the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Father loves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves the the Father. And the Son and the Holy Spirit, they have this relationship relationship amongst each other, and they know how awesome they are, okay? And it's not just uh, them thinking about themselves, but they're also able to uh, know the, the the glory of the other members within the Trinity, and so they have this thing going on. I think we get a hint of this in uh, the Gospel of John, something that Jesus says in John seventeen twenty four. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. That before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, that God the Father loved God the Son. And this goes all the way around. This means that God did not create you because he was lonely. Okay, sometimes we think that. Why did God create the world? Well, he's probably bored. He was the only being around. That's got to be pretty boring. No, he was the only thing that existed. But he, he had enough going on. Okay, he was uh, enough to uh, exist in complete satisfaction, in complete joy. If he is the one that is able to bring us satisfaction and joy in the ultimate sense, he can bring himself satisfaction and joy and happiness, and especially existing in the eternal love of the Trinity. So he didn't create you because he was bored or because he was lonely. He didn't have to create anything at all. God would have been just fine being just him for forever and ever. But God, being the way he is, wanted to, to share this. He wanted to bring other uh, beings that were not him into existence so they could they could know him. They could have a relationship with him. And like Jesus said here about the his disciples, they could enter into that love. God had this good thing going on. And he's like, wouldn't it be great if there are other people that could know and could experience this and be within this love. And so God created mankind for this, not to be detached and to uh, live on some planet way out there and never know about God, and maybe one day they'd figure out, oh, I guess there's a secret God that exists. No, he created us to to know him from the beginning, and you read the Bible, and Adam and Eve, they walked in communion with God. They, they, They knew him. And as we've been talking in this series, God had this awesome plan. And we can say it like this, that it's God's glory as man's joy. That God is glorious. He deserves to be glorified. And you say, well, that seems self-centered of God. Well, no, he, just, he knows he's the, the greatest being that there is. He knows he's the one that can give ultimate satisfaction and the only real lasting satisfaction. And so by creating us to know him, and to have a relationship with him, to, to love him, this is, it's appropriate and good for him because uh, he deserves this. He should be the center of everything. But it's also the very best thing for us because he can satisfy your heart in a way that nothing else can, in a way that satisfies it forever, that it satisfies it uh, with fulfillment, without, without guilt, the way that, that sin leaves us feeling guilty when we try to find that satisfaction in something else. So I want you to think of this as this is God's original arrangement. This is his plan for humanity. And think how glorious that would be if Adam and Eve had never sinned. God created us and we just spend eternity knowing him and even through the world that he created, giving praise to him through this, seeing him more and more and having delight and satisfaction in our life. How perfect this is. You know, I don't think this is something we would have thought of, but God thought of this, and what an awesome arrangement. Now, with that in mind, you think of this, and think, what did sin do to this? Adam and Eve, and Adam had a special position, and that's why the Bible blames it on Adam, even though Eve ate the fruit first. Adam was the one that was designated to be, he was created first, he was the one designated to be the Uh, the representative uh, head, the representative leader for all of humanity. And so when he sinned, yeah, it it broke this world. It plunged us all into death and to all of these consequences. And I want us to think a little bit about, you know, what was going on? We've talked about how glorifying God is something that happens in our heart. It's, it's showing uh, by the way that we think about God, our affections on him, that we view him as being great. We view him as being all satisfying, that he is, he is the highest. And so this arrangement only works when, when that's going on. You know, This is a finely, like a finely tuned motor. Uh, it's, it's awesome, this high performance thing, but you start getting sand or debris or things in there, it's going to mess up the whole works. And we'll see that's what sin does. What is going on in Adam's heart? And what is he broadcasting to the world with Adam and Eve when they sin? Read in Genesis 3. I'll just read some of this to you. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit and ate it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and they ate. And this was then sin entering the world. But it's not ultimately about eating a piece of fruit, eating an apple. But I think when we think about it deeper, what was going on in Adam's heart Adam and Eve, and what were they broadcasting to, to creation, to the, to the world, to God? And how did it affect this relationship of God's glory as man's joy that would have been this awesome, functioning thing forever and ever? But when Adam did this, think of things Satan was doing and what they started believing and how it put blemishes on this plan. For one, it starts to saying that, that God's, they doubted God's word. You know, God can't really be trusted. You know, the the devil through the the serpent says, "You know, did God really say this?" And gets her kind of doubting this, and gets her thinking that, you know, God, it, it doesn't sound like he's telling you the full story here. He seems like he's kind of holding back. He's uh, maybe he's not really this good God. He's keeping you from something that that's actually better. He's holding out on you. So it's advertising that God is not good. It's putting all these things that are that are tarnishing this. Uh, th- this functioning uh, system of God's glory as man's joy. You start doubting God. You start not believing him. You're, you're not taking joy in him. You're starting to think he, he, God's suspect that, he, that he's not good. They're not treasuring God at this point. They're not finding delight in him. They're thinking, God, there's something wrong with him. And it keeps going. This, this fruit is more valuable than God. They once you thought, if God was the greatest thing, well, it sounds like this fruit and the benefit that it gives, this is actually better. This is to be desired. If I have to choose between the two, at least at this point I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose this fruit, whatever it is. And it keeps going. That the fruit is more valuable. They deny God's love. I don't think he really loves me the way that thought he did. I used to take glory in God's love, but he's holding out on me. He's not as good. He doesn't have the authority. He doesn't have the lordship. God is not truthful. Uh, being Knowing this good and evil from this is more important. God's holding out on me. Uh, my will is more important. I know better than God. God is not central. Uh, relationship with God. God doesn't know what's best. All these different things. I should be on the throne. God doesn't know what he's talking about. These were all things as they chose this, eating this fruit, that they were broadcasting from their hearts and displaying by their choices to God and to creation in the watching world. And so instead of finding their joy in God and having this, this awesome system Everything got clouded by sin. And we could think of even more statements on how this just messes things up. Rebelling against God. Uh, sin has been referred to as, by R.C. Sproul as cosmic treason against him. It is, is substituting something else in God. and It is saying God is not as worthy. He's not as desirable. He's not as good. Something else is better. God is down here. And so we see why this was such a bad thing. This wrecks this whole you know, beautiful mechanism of creation of God's glory as man's joy. And you put sin into that engine and it's going to seize that up instantly. And so when they did, the world got broke and we got separated from God and we got separated from, from the love of God and, and the joy of God as sin infected our hearts and as the consequences of this spread to this world. So that's the first stage here. We have, we have creation. We're created for the glory of God. And we see here that sin has, has entered the world now. This is what's referred to as the fall. And I want to talk about this a little bit. Sin wrecks God's glory as man's joy. And you know what? Every time that we sin as well, we're doing the same thing. We are adding to this dysfunction of what God had created to be this beautiful, good arrangement. And we're keeping it from working the way it should for God's glory and for our joy and for the joy of, of our neighbors and our kids and everyone around us. Whenever we broadcast to the world that God is not all that great, He is not all that satisfying. My second point is that all sin is a worship disorder. Sometimes we think of sin as just acts that you do or maybe things that you don't do. It's a bunch of rule-breaking. But let's think of sin as as a worship disorder. We are all created to worship. And guess what people do? Even if they don't come to church on a Sunday morning, they're going to be worshiping something. There's going to be something that is the ultimate in their life, something that is at the, the, the totem pole of their priorities and their loves. There's something that's at the top there. And whether, if it's not God, it's going to be you know, their, their sports team, it's going to be, maybe it's a sin that they're after. You know, maybe it's something good. Maybe it's, you know, they love their family or they love, you know, working, and maybe that's okay, but maybe they really got that out of place. You're going to have something up there. Maybe it's some cause that they're, they're going for, uh, you know, politics. There, there's, everyone is a worshiper. Everyone has, has loves, and we're seeking after something that's going to give us meaning, that's going to give us purpose. And our problem is not that we have loves, that we have desires, but that's disordered. We're putting it in the wrong things. We're trying to get satisfaction from the things that, uh, that, that only God can give that type of satisfaction from. So we think of this as a, a worship uh, disorder. It, we, it helps us to realize how this connects to this whole theme we've been talking about, about desiring the glory of God. That ultimately, if we were created to glorify God, and if we do that with our hearts, by, by loving him, by being satisfied in him more than anything else, when we don't do that, I mean, that's that's sin right there. Wants us to think about a passage of Scripture from uh, the book of Jeremiah. It's in Jeremiah chapter 2. This is in the Old Testament. And you can see this is where the the title of the sermon is going to come from. Uh, but here, Jeremiah, the prophet, he's, he's laying out um, a, a case against... Uh, God's people here and what what they've done wrong. It says, Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend. Okay, so God's saying, I got a problem here. There's something I'm not happy about. I'm going to let you know what this is. For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar to examine with care, see if there's ever been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods? Even though they are no gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. He's saying, here's the issue. You had, you know, my glory available to you, but you have, you've surrendered that for, for something else, something that, that doesn't matter, something that doesn't profit here. It says, be appalled, O heavens, at this, and be shocked. Shocked. This is something that should shock us. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. And then verse 13, this is the, the the key part of this, my people have committed two evils. And you think of all the things that are evil in the world, all the different sins, you know, what's this going to be? You know, we can think of, you know, what are are sins that are out there in our society? And you might have your list, oh, it's this thing and this social evil and this and this. But I'm going to tell you what is going to come up here in Jeremiah 2.13, this is more core than kind of any of these things. No matter if it's sin that we have as Christians or we say, oh, that's in the world out there or whatever, this is, this is at the core of what sin really is and other things flow from this. The first of these two sins that he's going to lay out is this. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Saying that God has given himself to people as you know, the, the fountain of living waters. Let's think about this. Uh, don't think of like a fountain in a park Okay, they didn't have back in those days um you know, you know hydraulics where the the water's shooting up. think they're thinking of like a spring, and if you lived back in those days, you didn't get bottled water out of the refrigerator okay uh, you got to you know if you were lucky, the best situation is maybe you had like a cold spring that was somewhere nearby that you could get water from. I mean there might be a well or something, and that might be fine. Uh, who knows how clean it would be. But if you had a good like, spring, um, even now, you, know, you buy you know, water and people want to get you know, the natural spring water. And the great thing about that, especially if it's a cold spring, it's from underground, it's nice and cool. Uh, you know, Most people, if you just you know, just have your water around back then, they didn't have a refrigerator, so you didn't have a chance of really getting cold water. You know, it's not like you're bringing in ice from the North Pole or something like that. But if you had this cold spring, but also because it goes through the ground, it gets filtered. And so filters out all the contaminants. So if you were fortunate enough to have a nice, like, cold spring of water, man, this was a this was an awesome thing. You know, you would want to live near that. You would want to have access to that. What a what a great thing! So God is saying, I am the spring of of living water for you. I'm I'm pure. I am I'm refreshing. But you have decided you don't want this. You have forsaken me as the the satisfying spring of living water. It reminds me of something that Jesus uh, says in the book of John. He says to uh, a woman that's by a well, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus created us, and Jesus came and died for us so that we can know him and we could have him as the, our spring of living water. But we've forsaken God and we've decided we want to drink from the toilet instead. We'd rather do that. So we've forsaken God. That's one half of this. And these two sins are kind of the flip side of each other. One is, okay, I don't want you, God, even though you're cool and refreshing and you know, I was created for you and could have eternal joy, but no thank you. But the other side, sin number two and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now we have to think about, okay, what does this mean? But this is actually a really powerful concept if we understand what this is talking about. I remember when I was a kid. My parents still live in uh, the house in, in Wisconsin I grew up in uh, since I was five, and it's a, a fairly you know good size you know house that's in town. I think it was over a hundred years old when we lived there. I remember spending a lot of time in that basement playing a lot of super mario brothers back in the day as a as a junior hire and one time in the basement and uh, it wasn't a finished basement it had these you know concrete walls and dad went downstairs and he had a sledgehammer and all of a sudden dad starts just taking the sledgehammer to one of the walls and starts busting it. concrete and rocks are are coming out of this <laughs> it's like Dad, what are you doing? Why are you, uh, you uh, sledgehammering the, the wall? And he explained, he said, you know what, I think there's a room behind here. And he said he had kind of, you know, measured some things out in the house and even looked and noticed there was like an extra window, but there was no doors. But he said, I think there's a room that is, is back here. I want to get at it. And so, and this is, you know, like, an, like I said, an old, you know, house, and it was probably like a foot and a half, you know, full of, uh, this, this stone wall, and he busted through to this other room that was there, and a good size, it would be, um, could be the size of almost a small, a very small bedroom, and it was this, this concrete room, and there were no doors to it at all. And he explained he had figured out that this house being old, it had a cistern, that before the time where he had, you had know, running water and all of this, uh, what this was, it was a, a concrete room that would be sealed and it would collect rainwater and it would go into this and it would be stored in this room and so that you would be able to draw from this and have water for your, for your house. And we weren't using it anymore, so we thought, you know, well, we're just going to make this into another, another room, so he busted through the wall. And so that's when we realized, okay, this is what a cistern is, at least in our house. It's, you know, for storing water, storing rainwater. So if you don't have a well, you don't have, you know, back in the day, no one had running water, really, uh, unless you had an aqueduct or something. Uh, but this is where you would collect your water. And so when it rained, you had to take advantage of that, and you had to, you know, uh, keep it somewhere. So back in those days, uh, a lot of times, a cistern might look something like this, that, you know, it was um, made with stone, so it would hold the water, okay? And this what it says, hewn. Uh, it's, it's hewn out. That means you're, you're carved from stone or made with stone. Um, but basically the rainwater would just kind of stay in there. And I guess it's better than dying of thirst, right? Okay, it'd be good to have. But uh, at the same time, you think of how this is going to be. This water is not flowing anywhere. It's just sitting in there. And so this water is going to be the ambient temperature of you know, your surrounding area. If you live in a hot climate, this is some you know, hot, stagnant water. You know, think of what this is going to be like. It's going to have uh, little floaty things. It's going to have algae. It's going to have a little stuff growing in it. You know, it's going to have debris that collects in it. You know, maybe the times you have to fish out the dead animals that are in this thing. So think of what God is saying here in Jeremiah. He's saying, your one sin, you didn't want me. The, the, the fountain of living water, the pure, the good, the satisfying But instead, as if that's not bad enough, you decided I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to hew for myself a cistern, okay, so that I can find satisfaction. But when we try to find satisfaction apart from God, it's like drinking out of something like this. A warm, uh, just mess of, of debris and whatever you're going to get out of that. And he says not only that, it's a broken cistern that doesn't even hold water. So, it doesn't even work. So, when we turn away from God and we forsake Him as our ultimate joy, and instead, and we're so stupid as sinners, we try to find something else. We think I can find my own source of satisfaction, in, or my job, or relationships, or this sin, or whatever. It, even if it worked, it's nasty, but it doesn't even work. It's not going to last, it's not going to satisfy, it's not going to keep. And these are the sins that God is, is telling us that we're doing. And by doing this, we're broadcasting to the world from our weird, sinful hearts that God, we would prefer this to God. We would prefer the, the, the nasty, broken system that can't even hold water to, to the God that's there. This is the opposite of declaring to the world that we find our joy and our, our satisfaction and our loving God. This is the opposite of God's plan that he originally created us with. We think about the Ten Commandments. I mean, this really reflects the the first two. The first two, you know, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods beside me. And then it says, well, no idolatry. But how much sin is this worship disorder? We try to find idols. You know, maybe we're not actually bowing down to some golden statue, but it's a matter of putting something else in God's place, something else that is high and lifted up in your heart. Romans chapter one, 22 and 23 says, "Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things." And we do the same thing. Our hearts, it's been said, are our idle factories, that we just create other things to go after, other things to substitute for God and to live for instead. And so, if you're not a Christian, I invite you to realize that, you, that you've been trying to drink out of the broken cistern and find your satisfaction there. Turn away from that. Realize that God offers you living water through Jesus Christ. He loved you. He died for you. And if you are a Christian, I think we need to do the work constantly of examining our hearts for the idols that are in our hearts, for the things that are, are taking the place of God. We may never say that, but isn't it happening? And we need, to, we need to do a scan of our hearts and our lives. I read a list once. It was originally by David Paulison of uh, what he called x-ray questions. And I these are really helpful. I'll give you a few of these, but there's a longer list on the back of your bulletin insert. And I hope that sometime you will take some time to quietly and prayerfully think through these to do a scan of your heart. What do you really love? What are you going after? Here's a few samples. What makes you tick? What lights up your world? What really matters to you? What are you living for? I think this one is helpful. What do you think about most often? What does your mind drift to instinctively? When you're doing a menial task or driving alone in your car, what captures your mind? That can be kind of a hint as what's going on in our heart when there's there's nothing else pressing. You know, what do we end up thinking about? Could that be a a way to x-ray your heart and see maybe that's something that's An idol—that's this—is a super important thing to you. Where do you spend your time? What are your priorities? What things do you invest time in every day? What do you desperately hope will last in your life? What do you feel must always be there? What can't you live without? And when do you say "if only"? You fill in the blank. This can be ways to kind of look at your heart and see what, what, are, what are the idols? What are the things that are in your heart that are competing for that place that God is? Maybe it's something that's sin. Maybe it's something that's okay, but it's it, if it was kept in the right place. But when it tries to creep up over God and be more important than him, then it becomes an idol because when it tries to take that number one spot that only God should have. And because of this, we see that as Scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a position of win. We're all sinners. We all have this in our lives to so one way or another. We were created for God's glory, but we've sinned, and just like Adam, we found our, our satisfaction in these other things. And so we are guilty because of that. And so finally, this message we see, we're glad that this isn't the end of it, but also Christ came, redemption And Christ redeems sinners to the praise of his glorious grace. See, the the glory of God in finding our satisfaction in his glory, this is throughout the biblical storyline. We're created for this. Adam and Eve, you know, their idolatry and our sin is about this worship disorder of finding our glory, our satisfaction in the wrong thing. But also Christ, by his mercy, he didn't have to, but he did, but he saves us. And yeah, it's for our good, but it is also for his glory. This is part of it. God redeems sinners to the praise of his glorious grace. And I believe I can say that with confidence because it it uses some of those very words in in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So from this we see you were saved not just to get you to heaven, okay, or even to, to get you with God forever, but this is also for the praise of his grace. This is for his glorification, which by the way is what he deserves and is also the best thing for you that you would know what he is like, that you would know how you can praise him, that you can see him more fully for who he truly is. And we're going to see that the cross and what Jesus did for us, him shedding his blood, as it says, and this was what needed to happen for you to be saved. He needed to take your place on the cross. He needed to do what you and I couldn't do. And he gave himself as a substitute you don't earn your salvation, it's by grace and received just by believing through faith. He did the work for it by dying in our place. And by doing this, we see how much he loved us. We have redemption. We're, his grace, it says, was just lavished upon us. He didn't give it to us in a stingy way. Okay, If this was Halloween, he wasn't the person that gives you one little uh, tiny tootsie roll and there you go. Or uh, this is somebody that is, is filling up your bag and dumping, you know, candy, dumping stuff on you and you're, you're drowning in this. How much God is giving us in his grace and his love and his mercy to us. He's lavished upon us according to his riches. And think of all that he has. And he's adopted us as his sons. All of these, this is amazing. This is unbelievable. And this is to show how great he is. He's always been this great, but by him doing this, lets us know how great he is. It says in Romans 5 8, God, some translations say showed, others say demonstrated. I like this terminology because it's like God displayed his love. Okay, God was loving, but this is how he makes it known, how he displays it, how he, he puts this on display. He's going to let us see this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. What is it, creating the world? doing miracles, helping you, you know, finding a great parking spot, you know, healing somebody, these things. The way that God ultimately and most gloriously shows his love, his heart, who he is, is in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't come to die for perfect people. He didn't come to die for people that already got their act together. He came to die for sinners. That's what we are. And if you're like, well, I'm a sinner. God can't love me. No, he he does love you. In spite of our rebellion, in spite of who we are. And this shows how great he is. It's not about how great we are. It's how great his love is. And here's the thing to realize. Adam and Eve, if they had never sinned, they would have had joy forever in the Lord. They would have known him. They would have walked with him. But you know what they would not have known? They wouldn't have known his grace. They wouldn't have known what it's like to be able to say that God came for me. God lived a perfect life for me, that the Son of God, not only that, but he died on the cross for me. You know, the angels that didn't fall, they can see what God did for us. They can see it from a distance, and it's displayed to them, but they can't know it in our hearts the way that we can know it. And so because of this, not only is it that um, God created us for joy, and then sin, it's wrecked that we've fallen down, And Christ, he doesn't just bring us back up to the original level. You and I, if you are a believer, will have more joy forever than Adam and Eve would have had if they had never fallen because we know the love of God in this personal way. The extent that he was willing to go to to demonstrate his love, Christ died for you. It's all about his glory. When we see who he is, he gets the glory and we get that joy. I hope that you have the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that's a joy that goes on forever. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you. We give you praise. We were created for your glory, and we admit that we have sinned. It's not just Adam that did this, but we've done the same thing. We've turned away from you. We've preferred the broken cistern, the nasty water of the broken cistern, to you as the life-giving stream, Lord God. We broadcast it to the world that we think that you are worth less than all these other things, when in fact you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. Lord, we thank you, and we praise you so much for Jesus Christ who came, that you came to die on the cross for us, to fix this sin problem, to take away the sin that stood in the way of, of us, to change our hearts, to reorder our love so that that we would start to, to love you the way that we ought to, in a way that gives you glory and gives us joy. Lord, help us all to scan our hearts for anything that tries to take your place and to trust you and to love you and to see you more and more every day. And through this, thank you that we will have more joy forever than anyone because we can know your love in this personal way. Christ died for me. All praise and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.